Thank you, Phil. Our Hebrew scripture reading today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verses 1 and 4 through 9. Listen for the word of God. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a town. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see this city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Our New Testament reading today comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Listen for the word of God. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under the heaven, living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, 
they are filled with new wine. So end of the lesson. Pentecost. Who knew? It's, uh, in churches like ours, it's been the most neglected of the major Christian holy days. We say Merry Christmas. We say Happy Easter. What do we say at Pentecost? How about powerful Pentecost to you? Growing up in my little congregational church in Massachusetts, I never recall uh, ever have anything ever being said to us in Sunday school or in the sermon message about Pentecost. But there it is. And now thanks to the rise of the Pentecostal movement and the reacquaintance of Protestant denominations like ours with the major festivals of the church year, we have gotten at least a nodding acquaintance with this, but it deserves a lot more than a nodding acquaintance, let me tell you. We have learned to call Pentecost the birthday of the Christian church, and that it is. Before he departed from them, the risen Jesus said to, to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, did we, or rather did our ancient mothers and fathers in the faith buy into that? Or what? When the Spirit came down at that first Pentecost, the Christian missionary movement was born, a religious movement of evangelization and conversion unlike any other that has ever existed on this planet. But how did they know that the Spirit, a bunch of them, devout Jews from many nations living in Jerusalem, felt suddenly overcome by the rush of a violent wind and by the appearance of these tongues of fire over their heads, and then by the most amazing thing of all. Although they were almost all foreigners to one another, speaking very different languages, all of them found they could understand immediately what the others were saying. Could understand it so well that it seemed to them like those foreigners are speaking their own native language. Well, if that doesn't qualify as a miracle, I don't know what would. Is there anyone here who has not been in a foreign country the language of which you did not know? Anyone here who has not had the experience of being in a group in another country where everyone understood what was being said except you? Maybe it was a joke and everybody laughed and you had no idea what they were laughing about. Now, an embarrassing question. Is there anyone here who has no ability whatsoever in any language 
besides English. If I were to point one dangerous sign for the future of our United States, it would be that so few of our people, at least our Anglo people, can do much of anything in another language. You know, that's the dangerous price of being the most powerful country in the world. We have become linguistically complacent and narcissistic. I'm not saying it is an American duty, but I am laying before you the possibility that it is a Christian duty for every person living in this country, or at least most of us, to develop some minimal ability to function in another language. This is where the people went wrong who had the idea of building that wonderful, powerful city with the strong tower, the tower we know is the Tower of Babel. Those folks thought thereby that they could, quote, make a name for themselves, unquote. That is, become really powerful, become the world's cat's meow, become the exceptional nation of the ancient world, just as uh, too many Americans think today, and what a delusion it is, we are the exceptional nation. The nation of whom God is, you know, especially fond. The people of Babel felt that they could become really the special people. Well, they all spoke the same language. They were on the same wavelength, or so they thought. They were tuned into one another, or at least so they thought, so they could work together and do really great, really wonderful, really powerful stuff. But God said to them, forget it, folks. Days of speaking one language and understanding one another effortlessly are over. They're over. From now on, you're going to have a hell of a time understanding one another because you're all going to be speaking entirely different languages. And God confused their language so that they no longer understood one another's speech. What do you think, sisters and brothers? Then we have this Pentecost miracle that in Jesus Christ, and through the body of Christ, which is the church, the Spirit of God is given to us human beings so that the confusion of tongues is at least potentially overcome and the possibility of overcoming the alienation produced by the diversity of languages and cultures is that's a real possibility, and indeed it's going to happen. Of course, there are many signs of the presence of God. In the Gospels, the principal sign is the one that Mary acquainted the kids with when she uh, made the doves with them last week and, and then gave the doves to all of you just now. And the dove, the dove of peace truly does symbolize the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God which is coming is, it's a kingdom of peace. The peace which passes all understanding. But there weren't any doves on that first Pentecost day. 
Another sign of the Spirit's presence is the phenomenon known as speaking in tongues. I was just yesterday with a few of the people known as Pentecostals. The Pentecostals, whom you may know, started out on a little church on Azusa Street in Los Angeles at the beginning of the last century, now number some 500 million around this planet. And they have recovered for our modern age the incredible gift of the Spirit known as the glossolalia, the speaking in tongues. When I told our worship committee during our call last Monday that I wanted to mention this, uh, one of them said, oh, Jeff, are you going to tell us that we're going to have to roll around on the floor the way the Pentecostals do in, in their worship services? Believe me, I have no problem with rolling around on the floor, at least in certain circumstances. But, but that's not what I'm expecting from you now. One thing I can tell you, though, for absolute sure, is that the gift of tongues is, is real. I've experienced it. I know it is not a fake. It is an extraordinary thing which comes from above. I don't have the gift myself. I have experienced that there are others who do. And these others have an important gift to give to the worldwide church, including us. But the speaking of tongues also did not happen on the day of Pentecost, at least according to Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. So like everything else, it's also possible to put too much emphasis on this one thing. This is the sinful human tendency, isn't it? Always just to focus on our own strengths and implicitly then, you know, on the weakness of others. To put ourselves in the most subtle way above the other human beings that we encounter. St. Paul perceived that the people who were doing the speaking in tongues were doing this, and he said unforgettably to the Corinthians, if I speak in the tongues of mortals or of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Here Paul acknowledges that it is possible for human beings to speak the language of the angels. In some sense, that's what the tongues are. It's something supernatural, which we don't understand. But Paul also says so clearly that there is something so much higher, so much deeper, so much greater than the language even of the angels, and that is the language which is the language of all languages, the tongue of all tongues, love. Love, the agape love which has been shown to us and made effective in our world by Jesus. For Jesus Christ is greater than all the angels, and he speaks a language which is infinitely greater than theirs. We, our religion became a missionary religion 
because of this, because the church was given on Pentecost Day this tongue of all tongues. Unlike most of the other great religions, ours does not favor any one human language. Hinduism, you know, says Sanskrit is special. Islam says Arabic is special. Judaism says Hebrew is special. But the church has been given to understand that the language of love can be spoken equally well in all of the human languages. And one other very important point this morning, going back to what our brother Thomas said at the beginning. The point of language, all language, is to communicate. It's, it's not just to say something to the other person, but equally to hear what the other person is saying, to understand it and to take it in in such a way that the other person feels listened to, feels heard, feels understood. When I truly listen to another human being, I mean, I'm not saying any words at all maybe, but I am communicating to them that I am aware of them, I'm receiving them, I'm taking their existence with, with whatever complications or difficulties or pain, as well as good and wonderful stuff their existence may contain, I'm taking it as seriously as I'm taking my own. And in that sense, just silent, silent, silent listening can be the most, maybe the most effective language of love of all. On that first day of Pentecost, it was the mutual understanding that they all had with one another that was more important than anything specific that was being said. <clears throat> I'm a preacher. I'm what one of my former parishioners called in a mixed message, a word person. I get seduced by my own words. But by the grace of God, I married somebody whose calling and gift is not her ability with words, but her ability to listen and to hear at a deep level what other human beings are saying to her. I've learned at least somewhat from her the art of listening and how many levels and ways of understanding and communicating there are and how different how many different meanings the same word can have to different people. Listening well to another human being is also language. It's the language of love, the tongue of tongues. May we all learn the language of love better in the Pentecost season of 2015. Amen.